Dior Talks. I really want to celebrate the creativity of the women, but all the creativity. It's another way to give voice to the artists that I like. Only in this way you can move in the future and then you have a conversation with a new generation of women. I am so excited to say that this episode of Dior Talks interviews Vicky Noble, a feminist artist, writer, scholar, and wisdom teacher, a major influence of Maria Grazia Curie, along with artist Karen Vogel. Noble co-authored the Motherpiece Tarot, based on the documented history and ethnography of female esoteric practices. Working for many years with archaeologist Maria Jimbutas, Noble continues to lecture widely and has also authored several highly respected books on female shamanism. These include Shakti Woman and The Double Goddess, the latter being a book that provided much inspiration for Maria Grazia, who invited Vicky Noble to collaborate with her on her cruise 2018 collection in California, asking her to reference the iconic Motherpiece Tarot deck that she had co-created in the 70s on many looks from dresses to scarves and bags. With California so central in the development of ecofeminism and women's spirituality as early as the 1970s, the inspiration resonated even more strongly in this context. To include this legacy into her collection, Maria Grazia Curie decided to reach out to the key players of this movement. Maria Grazia says, To this day, Vicky is a huge source of inspiration for me. The way in which she talks, writes and describes the feminine psyche has forever changed my perception of femininity. My name is Katie Hessel. I am an art historian and curator from London and run the Great Women Artists Instagram account. I am so delighted to be virtually visiting Vicky at her Californian home, who we are very excitingly interviewing today. Vicky, it's such a pleasure and honour to speak to you. I'm a huge fan of the Motherpiece uh, tarot cards and I think what you've done in your entire career is just completely um, wonderful. So, you know, I'd love to start off, you know, in spring 2017, Maria Grazia Curie, the creative director of Women's at Dior, presented her cruise collection in Calabasas in California. And this incredible collection, she collaborated with you by referencing the iconic Motherpiece Tarot deck um, you co-created in the 1970s with Karen Vogel. I'd just love to start off by asking you, you know, how did it feel to see your designs on these empowered female models down the runway for Dior? It was a dream. It was absolutely the whole experience from beginning to to the fashion show, and even later when they brought us to Paris, it was just a dream. And that we were having, it was just so beautiful. You know, Maria Grazia contacted me the night before my 70th birthday. Wow. And I had gone, yeah, it's so magic. I had decided I needed to do something really interesting to turn 70. So I had never gotten a tattoo and I decided to get a tattoo and two friends went with me. We went up north in California and got a bed and breakfast and went to the mud baths that day and came back to the Airbnb that night and there was an email from Dior 
And I, I thought it was a scam. You know, my, my, my daughters are always warning me about these scams and to be careful and not open things. And, and so <laughs> I, I called my friends into the room to look at the email with me. It was just so uh, otherworldly and, uh, and fantastic. And, uh, and I, I realized at some point, you know, that it was real. And I googled Maria Grazia and realized that I had actually been using her campaign, uh, the We Should All Be Feminists. Oh, yes. You mean the T-shirt, which quoted Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's essay, We Should All Be Feminists. I had been using that campaign in the way of my collages that I make with my students. Uh, they're, they're um, you know, they're Tibetan Buddhist mandala uh, forms, and, and the collage is done that way. And I had done one on, on New Year's for that year, like an oracle. And oh my gosh, right in the so center powerful. of it. Yeah, it was so powerful. I had to go back and check. I couldn't believe it, you know. And sure enough, uh, I hadn't really paid attention uh, to what it was. I just cut it out from a magazine, you know, because it was so potent. And then, of course, it was Dior. And And then this was April 12th when she contacted me and you know the fashion show was it was may 11th in oh my LA. gosh wow <laughs> we had <laughs> what to a really, yeah we moved very fast i i moved in ways i have never done before amazing so i mean you know how did it's, it's fascinating to hear how it came about did maria grazia kind of talk to you about how she discovered how discovered your work I began to understand after meeting Maria Grazia and talking with her that she had read my book Shakti Woman and she'd been very moved. She said that the things I said about women needing to be at the center and needing to govern society and things like that were very, uh, they affected her. And then the mother piece affected her. She loved the tarot already and and said that Christian Dior loved the tarot as well. And yeah. I didn't know any of that. But uh, so she was very open, you know, to the tarot in general, but she was especially open to the mother piece. And obviously she she envisioned them, you know, in I can't imagine a more perfect way. We were so impressed when they even sent us sketches. Uh, we just knew it was going to be the most beautiful expression of our work. I mean, in a way, it kind of all comes full circle, isn't it? Because, you know, you're you're creating work about empowered women and then empowered women are actually wearing them, which is incredible. I'd just love to know, you know, how did you <laughs> translate these beautiful images onto dresses, scarves and bags? How did they? I mean, it was, I think, through her vision. She saw the sacredness of the images and she understood in such a profound way, as she does, obviously, about feminism. She she has been such a pioneer how she's gone back and sort of resurrected uh, the work of the 70s. And I've tried to do that a lot in my 72 years uh, because it seems that the culture has kind of erased the tone of that time. And the tone was so uh, women-friendly and so strongly feminist that, you know, women like me, even though we hadn't met 
others at, in the mid-70s, we, we started to create these new visions and new images, positive images of the way women could be empowered in society. And I think she, she really understood that it was, a, it was folk art and it was that, that we were honoring the indigenous folk art and women's art from all over the world. It was not, it's not uh, studio art, you know. And also I have to ask about the setting as well, because it just, I mean, from the pictures and the videos, it just looked absolutely magical. And it was, you know, setting Calabasas for a reason. I mean, can you talk a bit about California and why this place is poignant for the history of feminism and also Tarot? Ah, well, uh, you know, it was like a Mecca in Berkeley when we were yeah. working in the late 70s. It was, it was, everything was possible. And the things that were happening and the amount of feminist uh, expression that was happening. You know, one of the things that happened during that period that a lot of people don't know is that because we were uh, kind of locked out, you know, of, of normal venues that are more male-dominated, uh, feminists just did their own thing. We, we made... Uh, structures, infrastructure. We made our own yeah. bookstores, our own distributors, our own publishers, our own uh, coffee houses, you know, everything, so that we had a whole culture that was very exciting and uh, very intact uh, until about the mid 90s, I would say, when the corporatization of absolutely everything sort of brought that to a close. But during that uh, maybe 15 years or so, it was uh, very powerful that we were able to produce so much content and get it out. In, uh, and so that was California. Uh, in L.A., you know, Judy Chicago and, and the L.A. art group, they were amazing. And what we were doing in Northern California had a little bit of a more of a maybe a goddess slant to it, a little more women's spirituality. But all of it was, yeah. was uh, incredibly creative. And we were aware of each other. We became aware of each other, of course, through our feminist publications and and things and uh it was it was just like we were living in a world of our own creation we actually had we thought we had completely changed the world it was yeah. for a moment it really seemed we were there you know and it was exhilarating but i think if you look back on it it, it feels like that you know something like the dinner party was so i mean momentous even you know discovering it about, about age 17 myself i mean i couldn't quite believe that you know, nothing had ever happened before. I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't discovered it before. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think that history was quite deliberately erased, actually. That's what backlash yeah. is about. And so uh, there are a whole generation or two of women who really didn't, who kind of missed out on, on some of that. And so I feel that uh, Maria Grazia is not only bringing the artists from that time period forward, which is thrilling for all of us but she's also tapped into the feeling and that and she's wanting to express that feeling through the dior creations and the and the settings for the shows that she's doing and so on it's really it's such a a big creative vision this the show was obviously in 2017 but you like you were saying earlier on the episode we're kind of going through this fourth wave feminism period at the moment and there has been such a resurgence in you know spotlighting feminism and feminist 
theory and text and scholarship yes. now. I mean, yes. how does it feel to kind of see contemporary younger women sort of involving themselves with your texts from the 70s well, and 80s? It's incredible. You know, um, I like so many people my age, I didn't get on Facebook and Instagram and all that real early. I, w- I resisted it. And, but my granddaughter got me on Instagram. You know, Amazing. I follow ten- you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, it was only actually recently that I went and looked up the hashtag motherpiece and the hashtag motherpiece tarot. And I was absolutely stunned at how many posts, thousands of posts under each of those hashtags. And, you know, most of them are not mine. And it's a phenomenon. The younger women have waked up and are, they're circling back, you know. Definitely. And I think what's incredible is, you know, it's the same with Dior. We we spoke about it in Maria Grazia's episode and how, yes, you have this voice as a creative director, but you also have this outreach to everyone. And even just with this podcast, you know, the fact that anyone in the world with a Wi-Fi connection can listen to it. And it's about making those connections and those subjects a global movement in so many different ways and also without hierarchy as well I think that's what's important about it yes it's fantastic and you know one of the things I I, for the last 10 years I've been watching movies and reading books that are biographies of women and often I feel just so uh, so upset when I find some woman that I never heard of before and she's done awesome things and was yeah. really renowned in her time, you know. Yeah. And I, I just can't believe that we don't know this. How is it that I don't know about her? And so that happens over and over for me. And uh, and I think uh, the, the problem is that somehow, you know, we don't receive the attention and the recognition that we deserve uh, in general. We women as all women who are expressing themselves in any way and I felt even in the uh, the Dior uh, interviews the same thing like who are these Italian women artists I never knew about them Tommaso Binga the interviews were so fresh and exciting you know and and quite old and incredibly uh, 88 (laughs) you know yeah she's really you know here we are (laughs) 40 years later I'm so pleased and who would have known you know it's been a long time coming absolutely and I just love to ask you as well you know who who were the people who really taught you all this kind of matriarchal education as well well, I have to say uh, we were pretty much autodidacts at, uh, when we began. You know, I had, I had uh, finished my BA, but in those days I had to create my own women's studies major in order to be able to study anything that was interesting to me. I remember telling a classics professor at Colorado College, um, I don't want to read that. I don't want to read Thucydides. It's just a bunch of lies. And he said, okay, fine, read what you want and write a paper. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. I, you know, I wrote about uh, Elizabeth Gould Davis, who had written a book called The First Sex. But it's like that. We had to do so much extra work in order to yeah. be able to study what was interesting that once I got my degree, I was excited to be free 
of the university. Um, and Karen and I felt that we, we now had the freedom, you know, to study anything we wanted and to investigate as deeply as we could. So we used the Berkeley libraries and the Stanford Art Library, and we just, we made the most of the resources that were around us in Northern California. And we, we learned so much uh, on our own. It was a long time before I decided to get a master's degree. I, I wasn't that keen on uh, getting higher degrees until it got to the point where you couldn't teach without them, you know, then it, then it became important because we had developed a women's spirituality program, a, a, a master's program, a graduate program in women's spirituality at uh, a couple of the universities in uh, San Francisco in the 90s and in the early uh, 2000s. And that was uh, very exciting to be able to do uh, academic work in our subject. It was a long time coming. Yeah. But am I right in thinking you also studied under Marija Jimbutas? I uh, didn't really study under her. I wasn't in a university program with her. I was a friend. Uh, okay. She was very open to the goddess movement, uh, yeah. unlike so many of her peers. And uh, I met her in 1988 when she was speaking at a conference that we had at, uh, at one of the universities in San Francisco. We loved her work so much. She valued validated us. Yeah, how were you inspired by her work? Well, it was uh, like putting a scientific uh, foundation underneath our more intuitive understanding of the ancient cultures. We could look at the art and some of the images from earlier times and see perfectly clearly that they were uh, female leadership images. Yeah. But she, she put the underline on it, you know, she, she found through scientific means how much the ancient cultures were female-centered and, and what it meant. You know, she really interpreted uh, in a... She, she didn't use the word matriarchy after a while because people had such a hard time with it. She said matristic, female-centered. Wow. Um, but she showed that, you know, things were done collectively. I mean, she's the one who brought it to our attention that the bread ovens were in the courtyards of the temples and that bread baking and and giving birth were activities that happened in the temples as well as the some of the arts you know the uh, weaving was done in the temples in a, in a temple workshop and the pottery was made in temple workshops and the temples were just like larger houses they weren't grandiose they were just uh, public spaces or communal spaces in in the different uh, little villages or tells as they call them um, so that was that was very helpful she she helped us to understand what we were seeing and how what it meant in terms of people's real lives yeah. and the archaeology was very clear she was a fabulous archaeologist and she was uh, 
not accepted. And she said when she died, I was with her at her death wow. uh, in 1994, she yeah. said to us, you know, it will be 35 years before my work is integrated into the wow. academic discipline. And so very recently, there's been uh, some incredible progress on DNA uh studies dna science and it's showing it's corroborating her theories and even her enemies you know are having to say oh yeah i guess she was right so that's been very uh validating uh and and uh the woman who was her main editor and kind of her right-hand person and who continued giving lectures and conferences after her death is Joan Marler, another uh, Northern California woman. And she, Joan Marler is writing the biography of Maria Gimbutas. So that, that will be delicious. So fascinating. And what was Maria Gimbutas kind of specifically looking at? with these kind of Bronze Age goddesses? Well, she they found over 100,000 female figurines, you know. So, and, and she actually told us a story that when she began her dig in uh, northern Greece, Achilleon, she, uh, so, some of the male archaeologists were just tossing the, the figurines, like over the edge of the dig, because they they didn't understand them to be interesting. You know, what happened for her is that she was reminded of her upbringing in Lithuania. She was really immersed in that old tradition, because in, in so much of Europe, if you go out of the cities, the rural people are still practicing the customs and the traditions and the rituals that have been going on for, you know, 9,000 years at least. And she said she saw the peasants uh, kissing the earth in the morning, saying hello to Mother Earth with a kiss, and, uh, and saying goodnight, you know, at the end of the day. And, and there was art in the architecture that reminded yeah. her of what she was seeing in, in when she was digging. And so she really expressed the understanding that the Bronze Age that she had been, that was her specialty before she started the goddess work. The, yeah. the Bronze Age was just weapons, 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 she told me one time. Whereas the strata underneath was entirely different. And she named it, and she described it, and she interpreted it in her in as best she could, and with a lot of interdisciplinary knowledge, not just like a an archaeological specialist, but but she interpreted through you know she had collected folk songs as a teenager in Lithuania, yeah. and she had seen and experienced all of these traditions that still get carried on through the folk art, the folk dance, the folk yeah. rituals, the festivals, you know, all of that. And so it was alive for her, and she knew yeah. what she was looking at. And for her to name it for us and and bring it together like that was so exciting. And it was exciting for her to be received in the way that yeah. she was received by us. Totally. And you can really sort of see that folk art and archaeologist and goddess-like sort of teaching come through in your mother piece, Tarot, specifically. I'm wondering, with the Tarot specifically, were, were, were any 
based on particular goddesses from the Bronze Age? More from either indigenous cultures, contemporary yep. indigenous cultures, or uh, from like the images on the Wheel of Fortune, those goddesses are from a little earlier, and, and maybe some from the Bronze Age, maybe around 3000 BCE. Uh, so yes, yeah. We were, we were actually taking them like reproductions, you know, when yeah. we made a card like the Wheel of Fortune. Really, we, we said we were revisioning world history yeah. to include women, you know, and uh, to feature women. So I'd love to talk to you about the Motherpiece deck because obviously this was so influential, not just for Maria Grazia, but for, you know, it's, it's a global interest. And, you know, how did this particular pack of tarot cards come about? <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing about the treasure tradition. Everything yeah. felt like magic. Everything felt to us, I mean, we were in that framework anyway, but but it, it was as if it was happening to us and through us. And we thought we were writing a book, Karen and me. We were great researchers, and yeah. we thought we were going to write the great book on, on the ancient cultures of the goddess. And instead, uh, a friend brought a tarot deck one day, a weight deck, and, uh, you know, I just fell in love with it. I went crazy. I used it every day. I used it for hours. Had you seen a tarot deck before? Never. Oh my gosh, wow. This is a real kind of moment for you. Yeah, exactly. And, a, and an accident of fate, right? I mean, it was just very casual. But I still started to use it and then study it. So did Karen. We, we went very deep into the study of yeah. the tarot tradition, you know, and the Western magical tradition and all that. Kind of blew through that in about a year. And, and, it, uh, and, and other things from the times. I mean, there was so much uh, that we were involving ourselves in. Uh, yoga. By then I was teaching yoga. And yeah. we were, you know, we were involved in all of those kind of uh, spiritual and uh, supernatural body work kinds of things. Yeah. And all of that, of course channeled into the cards yeah and then we spent a whole year uh, drawing the images and doing the research the background research on each card it was the most fun I've ever had <laughs> <laughs> and there was so much magic around it uh it yeah. was it was you know it seemed itself like a supernatural project and I do believe that when artists do their work you know they go naturally go into trance and channel a certain amount of what they're doing it's a combination a co-creative adventure you know with the universe but in the case of a tarot deck I think it might even be more pronounced the supernatural yeah. quality of it because we're working with magic and with oracles and so on so it was absolutely thrilling and all the psychic energies around it were so powerful that we were just in a kind of a stream of uh, of amazing, a dreamlike experience. Mm. But I think that's the powerful thing about art, isn't it? It's like this kind of global visual language that anyone can connect to. And I think particularly your motherpiece cards as well, they kind of collate so many different cultures in them and also aren't sort of specific to a culture. They are, they feel very universal. That's right. 
That's right. We, that's just, thank you. That's a beautiful way to say it. That's exactly what we were going for. Yeah. And it's funny because then later part of the backlash to that whole concept is, uh, is, is all the postmodern feminist work that came in the 90s and yeah. uh, was, was so uh, virulent uh, against anything uh, essentialist, as they called it. And, of course, we were absolutely essentialist. We were saying that there's something universal, universally in common that women all over the wor world have. You know, all women bleed. We would start there. And yeah. so you, you can't say that we're not, that we don't have a universal commonality, even though, of course, every culture expresses uh, women's roles in their own ways. But going back to the, the, the mother piece, obviously, you know, they've endured. I mean, what, what has it been sort of about over 40 years now that they were made? And, yes. you know, they, they feel so incredibly contemporary. I think that's the incredible part of them. And I'd just love to ask you, you know, when you created these in the 70s, you know, why, what, what was your aim? Why was it round? Were these, were these tarot cards different to any other tarot cards that had come before? What we did was we broke the form uh, we yeah. we we went round. We 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 made it. You know, more than half the images are women of color. We worked with indigenous and uh, world uh, images and so on. Um, we broke the form, but but we didn't break the structure of yeah. the tarot. Oh, I, th I think that's abs absolutely incredible and and so well put as well. And I think it's so interesting that you know we should come full circle because the reason why we're talking is because of a, a fantastic creative director who is actually the first <laughs> yes. female creative director of a huge fashion house, a global reach. And the fact that if you have a woman in power in that position, the reach and the education that you can give people, I think is so powerful. Yes. And look how she brings in uh, so many other women. You know, yeah. she's, she's sharing the stage. She's really, really a visionary. Yeah. And and in this time and place, we we need female leadership in that way more than anything. I mean, we're we're doomed if we don't let women have more uh effect. We need to have women and authority as well, I think. Absolutely. That need, women need to be brainstorming. You know, I sometimes we joke among feminists, you know, that if we could just have a time out from from what from male leadership that we could we could fix things you know in a month or two <laughs> thank you so much vicky this has been completely enlightening and we always end the dior talks podcast by asking all of our guests who is your feminist hero well you know i have to say it's maria grazia at this moment in time i'm using her image on uh, so many of my collages that I do with my students, and I, I just think she is a, she's a dakini in my Tibetan Buddhist language. She's a she's yep. a woman who uh, was born to uh, make a mark, you know, to yep. to alleviate suffering in the world, to redeem uh, the position of women in the world, yep. and she's doing it on a global level. And I just love her for it. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. <laughs> thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Katie.